1: What was the criteria that I was using for the yes or the no? Anybody? Maturity, maturity. There came a time when I gave my son a pocket knife. There came a time when I gave my daughter a credit card, but initially I said no, why? Because I love them. God will say no to you because he loves you.
0: Parents say no a lot, but it's not to be mean or out of spite. Today, Pastor Robert shares some insight into why no is sometimes the most loving thing to say. Sometimes saying no means keeping a child safe and setting them up for success later in life. The same is true with God. He says no because he has our best in mind. Stick around after today's message from Pastor Robert. I have quite a bit of information that I'd like to share with you, our web address, podcast, subscription information, and our contact information. Now here's Pastor Robert in the Book of Acts, Chapter 4, as he continues his message, Boldness. His love is the main thing.
1: You don't say yes to five-year-olds asking for pocket knives or pistols. Right, a hunting rifle? No, not yet. You got later on when they grow, maybe, and you can do some training, and you can give some experience. And in the same way that only a fool gives a credit card to a thirteen-year-old girl, am I right, Daddy? Can I? Can I? I just, you know, I just. It, it would be so much easier for me if I could have your American Express card. No. Now there came a day when I said yes to my daughter with regard to a credit card because she needed to be trained and she needed to be, right? So it wasn't a permanent no. But what was the criteria that I was using for the yes or the no? Anybody? Maturity, maturity. There came a time when I gave my son a pocket knife. There came a time when I gave my daughter a credit card. But initially I said, no. Why? Because I love them. God will say no to you because he loves you. Right? And it doesn't matter. You can have two, three, or 300 people in agreement. He's still going to say no because he loves you. Okay? Does this make sense? But Jesus promised us, he promised us that if we gather together, he shows up. And if we gather together and come into agreement, the implication here, something powerful can happen, right? Now, second action point. Some of you should already have guessed it. Pray together. You don't just gather together. See, one of the mistakes that we make a lot of times is we do go beyond attendance. We are gathered together. We are, it's like, okay, you know, brothers together, sisters together, but then we stop. We don't pray together at that point. Now, this is something that I personally have been convicted about because, you know, it'd be like three, two, three, four, five, six of us, you know, get on motorcycles and go for a ride. And we have a great time of fellowship. Christian brothers, you know, great time of fellowship. But we don't take a minute to actually pray. Yeah, we pray that God will bless the food. But we don't pray. These people gathered together and they prayed together. Right? verse 24 when they heard that heard what heard about the threats peter and john came back and said man the priests are there the same people that killed jesus now they're after us when they heard that they raised their voice to god with one accord and said lord you are god who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, you see, apparently, when they gathered together and began to pray, somebody brought, or God brought to somebody's mind, Psalm 2. Because this is a quote from, from Psalm 2. That God brought it to mind, Some, maybe one of the guys that was there, one of the ladies that was there, who knows, but God brought this to somebody's mind, and they shared it, and they they realized that God was applying it to their situation. Now listen, Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. It's actually about the messianic kingdom, that millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Messiah. When Jesus will establish his government, the Bible says he's going to sit on the throne of David, which means he's going to actually be in Jerusalem governing the world for a thousand years. And during that time at the end somewhere, the kings of the earth are going to come against it. They're going to gather together and, and they're going to make war against God. Revelation chapter 19 tells us that Jesus himself is going to destroy The armies, the kings of the earth that come against Almighty God. So, Psalm 2 does point to that future event, but Acts chapter 4 makes it clear that the prophecy has more than one application, more than one fulfillment. You see, the the prophecy there in Psalm 2 also applied to the crucifixion, it applied to the persecution that they were undergoing there. The first church in the first century. And this is something that a lot of times is confusing for Christians. Biblical prophecy will often have more than one fulfillment, more than one application. For example, Psalm 2. According to Acts chapter 4, Psalm 2 applied to the crucifixion and it applied to what was happening there as the Sadducees were threatening Peter and John, right? But it also will have its ultimate fulfillment when the kings of the earth make war against Almighty God and Jesus destroys them. That's way in the future at some point. But you see, it also applies in the here and now. Christians today are being persecuted in different parts of the world. They're rulers, world rulers today who have set their hearts against those who are Bible believers. It has application today. It's just a good thing to bear in mind that many times biblical prophecy will have more than one application, more than one fulfillment. But the main thing we need to notice from this is that the early church focused on the promises and the power of God. Not on the struggles Not on the intimidation. No, they were focused on the power of God. I love the the way this thing started out. They immediately began to pray, and how did they begin the prayer? You are God. Why are we worried? These chief priests, the kings, the rulers, you're Almighty God. You made everything. You made the heavens, you made the earth, you made the oceans and everything in the oceans. So look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, let's be honest about this for a minute, okay? I mean, really, if I can just be completely transparent. If the same men who set Jesus up to be crucified were now threatening me, I'd have probably prayed a different prayer. Your almighty God, please just wipe them out. Lord, please. I need protection, God. Just, would you please just kill them all?
0: 5312730 That's all for today. Tune in next time for more right here on Main Thing Radio.